always the, the good thing about reading out the non-league football scores on Radio Manchester was that it was the Did only time the in cheer? the week <laughs> where all sorts of random towns in Greater Manchester would get, a men- would get a mention. Yeah, I'm sure it was an audience winner. Um, it would, people like that. People. It's the same way that local papers always function on the idea that people will buy the paper if you put their name and photo in it. Yeah, yeah. That's the only time my parents, my parents used to buy the Weatherby News once a year because they were both in it. Terribly vain, my Why? parents. What, what, what anniversary was marked that the what, Smith oh, family were notices, renowned for? Was in for? the notices? Uh, no, it was um, the village show, oh. the kind of fruit and veg ah. business. Did they have but livestock? <laughs> they did not have livestock. Uh, my parents it, do not own livestock. Was it massive cucumbers? Were they always <laughs> in the running? It's more that kind of um, you that, said that kind was so of much show. It was a, that was a really kind of carry on moment. <laughs> yeah. Stephen is massive cucumbers. Uh, How the, many aubergines do you currently have? You don't grow aubergines in West Yorkshire. The um, <laughs> no, they, my dad used to win a lot of prizes for his tomatoes and his leeks. But then there was a conspiracy, and he, he always came third. It used to really annoy him. He well, won. Because what to give other people a chance? Because there were there were power brokers in the village, and there'd been a murder and things. It was, it <laughs> like was, hot fuzz, a bit like hot fuzz. Yeah. You don't want one family, damp, you know, uh, sort of taking control. Well, that's what happens in these village situations. Shows. But it's really sad. Dominating a dominating family that was all encompassing. People the, don't like dynasty of the fruit and veg locally. The Collingham Village Show had very much the same problem as the Bundesliga. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jack something was the Bayern Munich. My dad very much took on the Schalke role, the fallen giant. Uh, not that he's a giant but it's really sad they don't do the show anymore there's not enough interest and I think that's true all over the country and this is now I'm being serious very serious Um, that they've that they're dying out those those sort of fruit and veg massive cucumber shows but by the way there is more than one Collingham well, you don't don't specify. I don't want people hounding my parents. Okay. Well, I was just going to say there's another Collingham that still has a show. Is there? As according to Google, oh, that's good. who are very accurate on provincial town shows. Uh, I cheated on you both this week. Yes, you did cheat on us. It didn't go unnoticed, good. and we didn't offer you any sort of social media support for that venture. By the way, you didn't actually. That's really cruel. Um, the <laughs> oh come on, we no, I've, I've got we sun the shine up your backside. I've got exciting news. Enough. Well, we we just thought that if the if the Manchester Podcast Festival. We're going to give an op- Don't insult them. Don't was going to give an opportunity to a football based <laughs> podcast. It would have been nice if it was a Manchester based well, football podcast. But that's that's my That's the news. news. Ah right, well let's <laughs> cut that bit out then. <laughs> the, uh, no, let's leave it in. The so I after I did the Totally Football Show Live. It yes, was great fun. Yes, yes. Uh, I like them very much. Uh, we had a nice time. Quite a rowdy crowd at Friday night in Manchester. What the panel or the audience? No, the audience. <laughs> there was a, there was a bit of, I, I got booed for mentioning Leeds. Which I, oh yes, well that's well, understandable. That, well, it, it's, they've not been in the Premier League for like fifteen I years. Know, Get but over the, it. Yeah, but but Manchester United about, are still singing about how much they hate Leeds. That's true. And that's not that's not a football club thing. That's just a city rivalry. Yeah, people hate yeah, Leeds. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. true. Um, and I also got sort of whatever the term for saucily heckled is for telling my my you know my Russian train story being force fed by a woman. Of all the, the the stories about you being force fed by a woman, I forgot that that <laughs> yeah. was the Russian one. The um, <laughs> James Richardson teed that up for me to tell. And I'm not saying it's the world's greatest anecdote, but, you, you know... It's you know, a solid one. It's decent. Yeah. It was an insight into Russian life. And because I started off with... I was in, so I was in sharing this carriage with a woman and her daughter. These, these lads at the back sort of went, way! <laughs> and then it, everything I said was greeted with this sort of saucy heckling. But it wasn't a saucy story. Because she was a middle-aged woman, her daughter was eight. <laughs> and exactly. you, you, you're, very, you're very much a, you know, what goes on tour stays on tour kind of guy, though. You know, you, you, that comes across, I'm sure, yeah, to that, the audience. Well, Steve, that makes it saucy as well. Steve, nothing happens on tour. <laughs> I get you to do M&S shops from <laughs> yes, on exactly, tour. Yeah. That's, that's a private joke. Yes, no, but anyway, that, that was the most dramatic period of your time away. After the show, <laughs> three people 
came up and said they were uh, happy and d- delighted set piece menu listeners. Oh, splendid! Uh, Are and there any kind of any other kind of set piece menu? I would, I would, I would hate to think that there <laughs> were. Um, and the very nice man who lives in Didsbury, who organises the podcast festival, was unaware of our work, amazingly, but did say that next year, or perhaps even sooner, sooner, they would be interested in helping us stage a live event. Well, that would be. Tremendous. Tremendous. Well, we have, in just a, f- a few number of weeks, uh, a 100th episode. And um, people have been suggesting ideas for our 100th episode, for which we're uh, eternally grateful, at least grateful for three weeks or so. Um, and what will no doubt happen is that our lives will completely take over, and by about the 108th, we mm. will put into practice the suggestions for the 100th, and maybe that might be one of them. Well... Let's not half arse it, Hugh. Let's <laughs> let's plan it out. The, the are we having, are we having is, a production meeting? I've secured three three attendees to a live event. We we know that three people will come. Those three people will all come. But that's is that not the three of us? No, no, the three people I spoke to. Oh right, so you should get in touch. They they were really nice, and it's I'm, it's great that they're listening. But we need people to tell us that they will come. Do we? Well, how many listeners do we have in the sort of northwest? Well, that's a good question. I don't, we don't have the uh, the metrics on that, unfortunately. So we need every single one individually to let us know whether you are within a sensible car ride to Manchester. Yeah. Within 30 miles, give or take a Pennine or and two. And also I think there'd have to be a meet and greet session with Chinch afterwards. Yes, you can have any part of your body signed by Chinch as if it was one of his own tattoos. Yes. Yeah, or or you can study any part of Chinch's body yes. and sign it. <laughs> or just take, take a photo of Chinch's body. That maybe works better. <laughs> we could get Chinch to come in his barley singlet. <laughs> My problem with that only is that I'm not sure there's enough room on his body left uh, for, for more than two or three people to um, attempt to scribe on it. He does have that giant face of Elsa from Home and Away on his back, doesn't he? <laughs> let's cross the bridge of let's cross the bridge of how many people will want to sign Chinch's body when we get to it. Okay, so, so I say individually get in touch. So Chinch has Elsa on his back, you have Harrogate Town on your back. Come on, Steve, Harrogate Steve, any ideas? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I want I want to see some commitment from someone if they're going to get my if they're going to get a tattoo on my back. Certainly okay. a full size one. Okay, so listeners, if you want your face tattooed on Steve's back, that's another reason to get in touch with Set Piece Menu, to which you are welcome. This is the podcast where four friends talk football over food. The food uh, will be presented after uh, the podcast, but um, its constituent parts are sitting ready either in the fridge mm. or on the side. Mm. You will be having chili and lime chicken wraps. Mm. Oh, yes. Now, the original recipe had smashed avocado in it, but knowing that Steve actually wants to physically smash an avocado every time he sees one, um, I've taken out the avocado and replaced it with nothing. It is, avocado so you'll be fine. Excellent decision. It's the most overrated food. We will also be enjoying some, uh, well, a selection of chocolates um, provided by uh, Gemma's friend Roz, who works at Cadbury's in Birmingham. What a job. So she's been into the staff shop, and she's got uh, three items. We've got a Milka, we've got a Green and Blacks, oh, we've got two Green and Blacks, actually, and I think only one of them are out of date, so that's um, something of an achievement. I'm staggered that Green and Blacks is owned by Cadbury's. Well, Mil- what's Milka doing in the Cadbury's shop? Yeah, is Milka not Nestle? Well, maybe, I, don't, I don't know if the staff shop Provides only Cadbury. I mean, I thought Milka was... You could only get that in hypermarkets in northern France. I didn't realise you could pick it up on, uh, at home, as it were. The Green and Blacks thing doesn't say it's owned by Cadbury. Might just be a cho- Maybe she, she, she thinks all chocolate shops... Are the <laughs> maybe she, maybe she just didn't think that we would take so much notice of what the chocolate actually <laughs> was and just be grateful for the gift. Joining me, Hugh Ferris, are Rory Smith, who this week, when researching his article about Josie Mourinho and pundits, described Andy Hinchcliffe 
on our WhatsApp group as his muse. True. And Steve Wyeth, who's reporting on West Brom's win over Reading for BBC Radio 5 Live, was described as being so excellent on our WhatsApp group by Andy Hinchcliffe, it apparently made his traffic jam on the M62 bearable. But we are not joined by Andy Hinchcliffe, who is once again as far away from us as he probably could be, but that might be a good thing because at Popper underscore Russ on Twitter this week described Andy Hinchcliffe as one of the worst co-commentators slash pundits in the game. Such an annoying t- <laughs> Is that right? Which is nice. Um, so do get in touch with any insults you might have for Andy Hinchcliffe, not for any of the three of us, via Set Piece Menu uh, on Twitter, at Set Piece Menu, setpiecemenu at gmail.com. On Facebook, just search uh, for Set Piece Menu. Aren't we supposed to jump to his defence at this nope. point? There was a, a crashing silence then, wasn't there? <laughs> Thank you for your Atavelt 11 suggestions, by the way. The Set Piece Menu research team is currently collating them all before making a proposal to the board, which will then attempt to ratify two teams, uh, one house... One bag. Uh, Steve McMahon was the latest nomination on Twitter with, as is becoming customary among our particularly thorough listeners, some accompanying evidence. Um, I think we suggested that he was definitely in the bag category. No, I dismissed his credentials completely. Oh, did you? In terms of the fact that there's absolutely no disguise about what Steve McMahon was trying to do yep. and therefore he does not qualify for any level of atavelding. So you have to attempt to conceal your atavelderie. Yeah. All right. Well, Martin Robertson, thank you for the suggestion. It has been completely squashed uh, by Steve. I'm, I'm, you know, well, well, oh, you know, suggestions are more than welcome. But I think, you know, McMahon was very upfront. Yeah. <laughs> and forthcoming about what his his match day intentions were. He signalled his intentions from about three yards away when the sliding tackle yeah. began. Um, also, another vote for Sergio Busquets, who I think is definitely going to make one of the two 11s. And this email from Mark Ridley. Hi, Rory and friends, That's says Mark. Great name. I wish to make a nomination for a player for the bag 11, and indeed as captain. The player being one Robin Friday, ex-Reading and Cardiff. Ooh. I'm sure you're aware of his backstory. No. We are not. I am. I am. Are you? Do you uh, not know the Robin Friday story? Oh, well, in that case, don't say anything because he's okay, going to tell yeah. it. So thank you to Mark for this story that at least Rory knows. If you don't know it, you'll be very pleased by it. Friday was incredibly talented, but easy to wind up, invariably ending up retaliating and then getting sent off. In his final game for Cardiff at Brighton, he was involved in a battle with Mark Lawrenson, which ended up with Friday kicking him in the face and being sent off. Friday disappeared from the pitch, but rather than going to the away dressing room, he went to the home one. He found Lawrenson's kick bag and allegedly defecated into it. Literally a bag. Thus worthy of being captain. That from Mark Ridley about Robin Friday. I didn't know that Robin Friday story. Oh, there's story, more than one Robin you know, Friday Do you not know the sort of in legend case, of Robin Friday? Tell on, tell on. So Fr- Friday was this play, played for Reading in sort of the early 1970s and was extremely good looking, long hair, played in that kind of Stan Bowles, number 10 role, the free, the free wheeling kind of inspirational figure. Only ever played lower lead, I think, scored some amazing goals. Massive cult hero at Reading. I, th- I think, and if there's Reading fans listening who know this slightly better than I do off the top of my head, I have not prepared for this. Uh, we do have some Reading supporting listeners. so Someone's got to support Reading. Yeah. Um, the, <laughs> the, so um, those listeners who you are being very careful to not insult by getting the Robin Friday story wrong, you have now then... I, I don't think Reading fans will disagree with the fact that they've made poor life choices. <laughs> the, um, but Robin Friday, I think he retired early. I can't remember whether it was because it was because of injury or does he just didn't. He was one of those who didn't really like football, didn't like all the stuff around it. Never, never trained, never kept himself fit. That sort of smoked heavily, and he he died. I think a drug addict. He was addicted to heroin, which is the worst of the drugs, and he he had this sort of loush, bohem, almost bohemian lifestyle. Um, that was totally at odds with this sort of in- enormous talent that he'd been given that he never really tried to exploit particularly. It's, there's a he's, there's a rock and roll element to it. It's basically quite a sad story. Yeah, he only played for four years 
uh, says Wikipedia. There's a very famous book about him. Had a bit of a Cassidy him. look about him. Yeah. The um, Butch Cassidy. <laughs> no. David Cassidy. David Cassidy. <laughs> I was trying to think of a footballer called Cassidy, but I can't. Well, b- both Cassidys Do are. A footballer called Cassidy? There must be a footballer called Cassidy. That might be something else that uh, somebody Wikipedia is, but at the moment I must go on to Andy Kowalski, who's also got in touch, um, with an email entitled SPM Improvements. Number one, if there was just one thing missing from Set Piece Menu, it was most definitely lots of swearing. Uh, so we've managed to rectify that Good. clearly over the last few weeks. And two, is it just me or is Chinch particularly hilarious in mm. recent pods? It's just you. Yep, there's the silence again. Uh, setpiecemenu at gmail.com is our email address, at setpiecemenu on Twitter and facebook.com slash setpiecemenu. Uh, I, my boss, Andy Das, uh, has been in touch, not with the podcast, with me, because I'm his staff member. <laughs> um, Just for your annual review. Is it about your expenses again? <laughs> no, they've paid those, thank oh. God. Uh, I was really, yeah, things were getting tight. Um, <laughs> the... Andy was slightly worried about Chinch after last week's dark oh, really? sort of story. Uh, do, we, do we all think Chinch is all right? When was the last time anybody spoke we've to Chinch? Not act- we've not been. We've received messages from him, but we've not seen him in the flesh. But yeah. he's been WhatsApping much more frequently, so maybe his phone's been stolen by someone more communicative <laughs> and funnier, <laughs> <laughs> and somebody who cares about the general pre-production elements of this podcast. Uh, we will have a contribution from Mr. Andy Hinchcliffe later. Do not fret. Although, if it doesn't happen, I've set it up. And it'll be incredibly worrying if it yes. doesn't. Uh, now, such was the response to last week's pod about the legitimacy of supporting a club that isn't your local one or the one inherited from generations past. We thought we'd furnish you all with an episode that we'll call uh, What I Just Said Part 2. Uh, so first of all, to all those fans of all the Evo Stick League South Premier Division South teams that we mentioned, that is genuinely the correct title, you are welcome. Stephen Dando tweeted that he'd never thought he'd hear Froome Town mentioned on a football podcast. Well, there we go. So there'll be more thrills later when we fade out the podcast on teams from the Evo Stick League South Division 1 Central read out like they're in an M&S food advert which for overseas listeners means inappropriately sexually <laughs> Is it Froome or Frome? It's written Frome but it's pronounced Froome Right Chris Froome Town like it That's it uh, And from ridiculously local to global as well. We're going to go around the world and hear from some of our listeners in response to the discussion we had last week, and in particular the reasons why they support the English team they do, whether they feel that is legitimate, and if it affects how they see their country's own league. And we will start with this email from South Africa and Sifo Longwane, who says, how's it, chaps? That's what you get from working on the BBC World Service, by the way. Do it again. How's it, chaps? No, not that bit. Oh, right. Sifo Longwane. That's amazing. There's an H and an L together, and I'm just guessing. I believe it's pronounced has it. Uh, has it, chaps? Has it. Has it, chaps? I live in Johannesburg and as such have been a uh, muted Kaiser Chiefs supporter because it was my mother's team. However, I wholeheartedly support Arsenal. And it is not unusual at all in South Africa for a person's first choice of club to be one of the big Premier League names we all know. He says in brackets, the local league is a wretched watch and even the Soweto derby has lost any real sense of occasion. Uh, That's why clubs spend so much on promoting themselves overseas. We are proof of success, says Sifo, those of us who so closely identify with clubs in European cities that we have never visited. And don't underestimate how much seeing an African player in a team can warm your heart to it. As an African, Arsene Wenger clearly had a soft spot for Africans at a time when it wasn't at all common. Weyer, Kanu, etc. That sort of thing matters. Undoubtedly, I would be a Chelsea fan, says Sifo, if I was slightly younger. And one last point. I can remember the precise game that turned me to Arsenal as a boy. It was a Champions League game away at Auxerre in 2002. It happened to be broadcast by the South African Broadcasting Corporation, and that's all it took. I was hooked. Thing is, according to Google, Arsenal lost. 
Uh, fantastic, he says. I think with some irony. I absolutely love the pod. Please don't ever stop, he says, rather emotionally at the end. Um, <laughs> that is intimidating. We are, yeah. we are rapidly running out of ideas. Yes. We're doing a feedback episode. Yeah. This is the equivalent of the clip show. <laughs> we've, already, we've already done a clip show, so we can't do that. Um, so CFO um, presents that as evidence. Um, two really good points there. One is you, you do notice, I think, with African supports that how much of it comes from players... African players, in, for all, not African players, but there's a there's a huge constituency of Arsenal fans in Nigeria, of Kanu. Amazingly, there's a big constituency of Arsenal of Chelsea fans in Nigeria because because of the equally legendary Celestine Babayaro, uh, youngest Champions League uh, player ever. Is that right? Very good. Yeah. The so that that is a hu- that that's massively significant that that fans I think do identify with. Not so much the team initially, but the, the kind of local hero representing them. So that's really important. And then the other thing is that he'll be delighted to learn that the last ever question Arsene Wenger received as Arsenal manager was about his love of African players. Oh. At Huddersfield last season, in his last press, they'd won 1-0, final press conference, end of an era. Well, he'd gone out twice to say goodbye to everybody. <laughs> you kind of, this was before he'd gone out. You kind of um, expected his last question to be a kind of broad summing up question and the guy from BBC Africa asked it and he said um, what have African players meant to you through your career and, he, and which gave Wenger a chance to talk about Kanu and, and all the others um, and it felt journalistically like a massive damp squib because <laughs> it was not the quote I needed at the time <laughs> but for it, one journalist it's interesting that in Africa I suspect that is part of Wenger's legacy and certainly Arsenal's appeal it also shines a light those points on the fact that we don't as English, British-based followers of football have that reciprocal thing because so few players leave, mm. uh, so so few homegrown players leave English football at the very top of their game and go and play, go and play abroad and make a success of it. That British football fans, I guess, don't necessarily pick up an affinity for overseas teams in the same way because the, the, it's mainly, the mainly exceptions to that rule that go on and have really successful overseas careers where you might then uh, develop a, a, a lifelong love affair with, with another team. Do you think there's a constituency of English fans who are vaguely well-disposed to Lazio? Because of Paul Gascoigne. Yeah. Yeah. Gascoigne. I, I, think, yes. I think Lazio... Certainly at the time, it might have waned over the years. Yeah, but yeah certainly in terms of where Lazio are currently at in terms of their status within, within Italian football, they still have a, a high profile yeah. in England as a result of Gaza. But that just, again, that is the exception yeah. to the general rule, though, isn't it? I think yeah. it's worth worth pointing out, as we did in the uh, the second team's episode way, way back, and uh, we recommend that you uh, go and have a listen to that because it is a um, a sensible cohabitor mm-hmm. to this yeah. conversation. And we, and we see with American sport on those rare occasions where a, a British born athlete succeeds playing in you know or get, gets a contract to play in the NFL and I think there's there's I, I can't remember is it Coyote uh, team in, I can't remember which team it is in the the NHL but there is a British born and trained uh, player with an with an ice hockey franchise in North America for the very first time so we do find that we d- we hear about those stories as a consequence of that kind of thing where, you know, someone from your homeland has success abroad, you do hear about it, but they don't necessarily, that doesn't necessarily lead to a prolonged spell, does mm. it? Or, you know, yeah, away from home. If they move, and, you know, if they move, the top yeah, level, yeah, move yeah. teams. Um, we'll come back to the idea about whether the, the uh, indigenous league, if you like, 
suffers in a second because we've got another email from Australia about that in a second. But just to uh, finish on both Africa and Arsenal, Ahmed Youssef says on at Set Piece Menu, I started supporting Arsenal and following football after a trip to see family in Kenya. I wrote about it when I was 17. It was put on the Arsenal website a few years later. Uh, Read Rory's point about watching cafes in Africa. That is where I watched my first Arsenal game. My uncle owned the shed where the games were televised. It was called the Brothers Centre. So if we take those two uh, emails uh, from Africa to get together, we are talking about a single moment that inspired a lifetime's worth of Mm. support. And it goes to show that we might be talking about all these incredibly complicated and clever ways of potentially either supporting a team that you do support or why you potentially shouldn't support a team that you do support but actually it can sometimes just be completely instinctive and from that moment on you will not waver because you are emotionally attached to both that moment and the team thereafter and I do wonder you know whether partly part of the snobbery about foreign fans being attached to to Premier League teams and you notice it on Twitter you, you don't notice it you, you're maybe you two are better people than I am but I'm, well, that's undoubtedly I'm true. susceptible to it on Twitter that you Quite often, the most frantic, kind of angry exchanges you have with people on Twitter are Chelsea fans from Indonesia or Mexican Arsenal fans, or you know, people from all over the world. Polish Liverpool fans, or whatever, can often be the most kind of vituperative. And there's part of you that thinks, well, that's odd because you're so far away from it, and you have you, it feels instinctively like. And I'm not, I'm not saying this is what I believe, but I'm explaining my weaknesses as a, as a human that you feel you're so far away from it that how can you feel about it that strongly there's part of us that I think, think that I think believes that the closer you are geographically the more you should feel it and that's obviously wrong because they are so passionate and they can get so angry about their team just as British fans can um, but maybe that's because we don't quite understand those of us who've grown up supporting a team for geographical or family reasons don't quite understand the nature of the fervency of the support if you come up, if you support a team for other reasons and I think that's there's maybe a, a little bit of a of a disconnect there that w- because we don't understand it, we don't take it as seriously we, we maybe should take it much more seriously And perhaps if you're, the way you follow your team is from afar and therefore you rely heavily on online sources of information you are more likely to lash out in those forums and I guess it's also, you're that is your ability to have that discussion, even if it's ill-judged the mm. way you go about making your point, because you know, fo- you know, football phone-ins are part of the fabric of you know the, the Saturday experience of going and watching football in in England. And I, I suppose you know you've got your local press, and there's all sorts of ways that you can discuss your team's fortunes with people, you know, much more in a face-to-face or in terms of being surrounded by supporters of other teams. But I guess if you follow online, you are more likely to, to target someone on Twitter because you feel that that's the best place to make your point. Well, also, that's how you're supporting your team, isn't it? That's If you can't go to the games and cheer, then yeah. which millions and millions of fans across Britain, across Europe, across the world can't do, then the, the best way to actually manifest your support is to insult people who, or to undermine people who you feel are criticising your club that is that is your your fighting for your team that's you, that's your chosen sort of arena of battle um, that or telling, responding to Jordan Henderson's tweets by saying that he shouldn't be playing for Liverpool yeah. which I th- think is particularly supportive Well you can't vent your spleen at the manager on the touchline or the referee for the decisions he got wrong if you're not at the game you can't scream at the television if the game isn't being te- you know isn't available to you in that way so yeah why not Rory Smith from the New York Times it's probably his fault but there's also yeah, well that that no doubt is true but there's there's also a desperation to try and prove your 
what we used the word last week, we're using again this week, your legitimacy as a fan. Mm. And that is your, in a public forum, that is your way of proving that you are a fan and a diehard fan. And it may well come out in a negative way by criticising others, but it is still a way of emotionally trying to put yourself out there as look at me, I'm a fan. And there are people in the UK who have, um, who support Premier League teams and there are people all over the world who support Premier League teams and they put, as we have mentioned many, many times, part of the club's name in their Twitter handle. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, that is their attempt to achieve legitimacy in a wider forum to say, look at me, I'm a real fan because I've got MUFC, MCFC, LFC in my this is, in this, my Twitter This handle. is a core part of my identity. Yeah. yeah. Uh, to Australia next, and this email from Karan Damija. Uh, Dear Andy and Rory, amongst others. Nice. I am a long-time Arsenal fan living in Australia. Lots of Arsenal fans get in touch. Thank you very much indeed. But that, well, I think that, that is significant. There are loads of Arsenal fans there, there all around the world. There are, globally. Yeah. Um, so, living in Australia, well, and while I absolutely agree it is unfair to characterise us as any less worthy of calling ourselves fans, I disagree with Rory's thoughts about the local leagues and the big teams not leaving room for local teams by visiting the countries, particularly in pre-season. We get a lot of mostly English teams pitching up for those pre-season games, and in one case, just a 22-hour post-season junket for Liverpool uh, that I'm sure oh, do yeah. have much marketing value. A few years back on a different Liverpool trip, Liverpool for some reason he says is arguably the most supported team in Australia. Might have to do with today's middle-aged football fans growing up in the 80s. Well, you can reference any country I suppose about that. Uh, 95,000 people turned up to see them play an absolutely pointless game against Melbourne Victory, who, says Karan, um, is the hometown club that he supports. Almost all were decked out in the red of Suarez or Gerrard or others. A stunning rendition of You Will Never Walk Alone ensued. The then victory manager apparently is a huge Liverpool supporter, so joined in. (laughs) While this proved the theory that overseas fans are as passionate as local fans, this incident and others also proved to me the value of these global brands interacting with local clubs playing against them in friendlies. I have no doubt those victory players as well cherished playing in front of almost 100,000 people and against half-bothered quality opposition. But more importantly, the truth is is that big European clubs have a better following than our local A-League clubs, and I'm sure that it's true in other countries, particularly in Asia and the US. The attention these clubs get from pointless pre-season friendlies is still quite valuable in building up a connection with local football fans. Nothing is better, says Karen, um, for building a lifelong passion for the game than going to an actual game featuring that team. The least these big clubs can do is also help grow the game in far-flung parts of the globe. Yeah, that's really interesting. I yeah, I I wouldn't dispute any of that. I I guess you I wouldn't ascribe any like moral virtue to why the clubs are going. They're not going to grow the like, they're not going to grow the game. And that's my problem with They're growing they're growing their they're, fan they're growing base and themselves. calling it the game. Yeah. They don't care about the game. No one really cares about the game at that at that level. They care about themselves and their own brand. But yeah, he's he he's completely right. I, he? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I, well, I'm sorry to assume that, but uh, Karan is the name of the um, correspondent. The what about the idea that you said that the, the, the home teams might suffer? So Melbourne Victory is his local team. He doesn't think that there's an issue. In, in fact, for lots of those in Melbourne who support Melbourne Victory, they also now support Liverpool because they saw Victory play against Liverpool. Yes, yeah, so there's a bond between the clubs. It may, it may well work like that for some people. I generally... <laughs> I don't know. My my instinct is that the the kind of cultural hegemony of the Premier League will damage local leagues. There was a good interview with Michael O'Neill, the Northern Ireland manager, in the Daily Mail. Rare sentence, yeah. <laughs> um, the other day um, about I'm not going to get a job there, so it's, it's fine. Yes. Uh, the <laughs> certainly not anymore. The 
talking about how the Premier League kind of negatively influenced Leeds in Croatia and Bulgaria because they've tried to copy that model. So now the Bulgarian league is full of Brazilian players as they think that bestows some sort of international glamour on, on Bulgarian football. So I, I, I'm not quite persuaded that that, that that kind of dominance isn't a bad thing for football in, in, lesser, in, in the, lower, the lower ranked countries in smaller leagues. Uh, but yeah, the, he's he's right that, that there's probably benefits that I didn't take into account. It's probably naive for those leagues to be- think that Brazilian footballers is anything other than an export industry yeah. rather than importing an interest in your league as a consequence. Yeah. Yeah. But that is quite a happy byproduct. There's certainly not the intention of any big club that traverses the globe. They don't have to be from the Premier League to play prestige friendlies. But I guess, you know, if if as a consequence of going to watch Liverpool play Melbourne victory... As a Aussie-based Liverpool fan, you think, well, actually, I might, maybe I will go and watch yeah, this, this local team a bit more often. Then, then that would—that's not a bad consequence, is it? We should also differentiate between leagues like Bulgaria, where I imagine football is the number one or number two sport, as opposed to Australia, South Africa, and we're going to talk about America, where it is not. Yeah. So perhaps the. Steve, you mentioned a happy byproduct. Perhaps they're not so worried about any happy byproducts. They're just seeking to get some some footfall if you like yeah i think i, I think the the key point there though is that the, the the way you encourage people to like football is the best way is to go and see football matches and if what what it takes to get some aussie kids into a football game is the visit of liverpool and these international stars then then that's brilliant some of them might well then think you know what, i've really enjoyed that i'll keep on going to see the victory or even the mighty melbourne city um so yeah i, I guess th- there is that that is a byproduct, but it's it's not what the clubs are aiming for. And I would would wonder whether you can you can even suggest the same benefit applies to to Real Madrid playing Man United in Miami. That's that's not going to attract more people to go to Miami games because Miami aren't playing uh, the <laughs> yet yet. And who, well, who knows? May never. Other the, the the Alessandro Nesta one exists, doesn't it? Miami Fusion. The the non David Beckham one. The non the non Beckham one. Um, yeah. So I, th- those th- those ICC games I think are less even less uh, defensible if you're a Liverpool marketing manager or sales manager or in charge of finances and you go over to Melbourne Victory to play a game and as a result a fan buys a Melbourne Victory top do you consider that any part of your success no not at all which is yes the sad part of it I'd imagine Uh, in America Aaron Brenner says this dear set piece menu very traditional. Uh, second time writing, admittedly not yet Buffalo status. You're right, Aaron. Uh, three things. First, in the latest episode, Steve mentioned video of a group of Liverpool fans in Washington, D.C. celebrating uh, Daniel Sturridge's equaliser against Chelsea for Liverpool. They were at a fan zone, says Aaron, um, at a local bar that was set up by NBC Sportsnet as a broadcast site for the network's coverage of the EPL that week. It's the network's attempt to Build authenticity for the game in the US. It helps by spreading the word about the game and providing a place for fans to connect, but it hurts by further corporatizing corporatizing football. On balance, probably better than not, he says. So you, Steve, saw this on Twitter, and I, I assume from the reaction that you had that, that NBC Sportsnet did their job. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't aware that it was a corporate thing. I just saw the video. I assumed it was a group of fans together watching the game in a, in a bar and, and one of them had posted it online. Uh, yeah, it's, difficult, it's difficult to criticise someone for giving people an opportunity to come together with mm. like-minded fans to watch a game and to try and generate that sort of match-going experience amongst people that may 
never get an opportunity to actually go to Stamford Bridge or Anfield, let alone do it on a regular basis. And you can't blame NBC, who have invested huge sums of money in their Premier League coverage. They've seen the value value in it. They very much see the value in terms of advertising because people are watching the games in real time. And, and as we've discussed previously on, on Set Piece Menu, live sport is one of the last bastions of, of people watching television in real time. So therefore, the, the advertising space is incredibly value, valuable. And, and that's what NBC have, have hedged their bets against. So you can't blame them for trying to tr- to generate even more interest than there might already be. And I'm not going to say anything nasty about NBC because unlike Rory in the Daily Mail, I would love to work for them. Uh, second, choosing a team and being a fan, says Aaron, is inherently irrational. That's what makes it so fun and so painful. Insisting that the only legitimate reasons to support a team are that it is near where you live or that it is the team your family supports is insisting that fandom has some rational basis. It doesn't. I am an Everton fan because I had a very good friend from Liverpool with whom I ate bangers and mash and watched the toffees at a New York City Irish bar on Saturday mornings in the late 1980s. As a long-time New Yorker, I suppose it's slightly more rational that I am also a New York Red Bulls fan. After all, they were the first MLS team in the area, yet I remain Red Bulls fan despite the fact that I live much closer to Yankee Stadium where New York City play. I like the Yankees but despise New York City FC as unwelcome and unnecessary interlopers, uh, though I have long liked Manchester City and hated Manchester United for no reason at all. Aaron is... Very, very logical, although slightly confused, uh, trying to find the point about that. But the injection of logic about team choices, Aaron, is one way diehard fans try to distinguish themselves from and exclude supposedly fair weather fans who threaten to dilute a team's fan culture. Maintaining that culture does require that some boundaries be set, but on the one hand, those boundaries should be porous. And on the other, newcomers should be respectful. Let's admit and celebrate that our fandom is irrational and let's share our irrationality in the most humane and inclusive ways possible with as little corporate sponsorship as possible as well. So apart from the being slightly close to the Yankee Stadium, the nears to the Red Bulls, the idea of irrationality, I think hopefully people have got from our conversation, it has informed the conversation that we've had. It is an emotional, instinctive reaction to um, to who you support and it happens either at a moment as we heard from those two correspondents from Africa or it happens because somebody gives you an idea like mm. Rory your half-sister um, gave you an idea when you were essentially a footballing vacuum a neophyte yes um, and, and so that he, he's right aren't there we, we, we should not only allow for it to be irrational but also those who want it to be more rational should be respectful of the fact that other people's decisions are made for completely different reasons. Yeah, I agree with all of that and I think the point about porous borders is both welcome from an American commentator <laughs> and um, the actually we're in Brexit Britain so yeah, for <laughs> so us as well. For both. Uh, but it's true that I think quite a lot of the, the debate around legitimacy comes from fans themselves who are keen to separate themselves as being legitimate and others from different backgrounds or different places as less legitimate, uh, those borders are porous to the extent that you... Fandom is inherently performative. So as long as you perform as a fan is expected to do, then you are welcomed. So there will be plenty of people at every stadium in in lots and lots of countries, to be honest, uh, every week who are not from Munich or Paris or Barcelona or... Liverpool or Manchester, but as long as they perform acceptably, I think most fans would welcome them. So the fans themselves, I suspect, not that I can speak on behalf of all football fans, would be happy to see a Chinese fan go to Old Trafford and sing, but less happy to see a Chinese fan go to Old Trafford and 
watch, sit on their hands and take pictures. The, the, the problem is with the performance often, not with, not with the nature of the support or where it comes from. Should we expect a consistency of logic in these if we are talking either about more than one team or more than one sport? So Aaron mentioned about the fact that he was a, a Red Bulls fan, even though he's closer to New York City. Uh, he despises New York City, even though he hates Manchester United and prefers Manchester City. There are those who will be who will find people supporting Manchester United who aren't from Manchester abhorrent. They call, call them glory hunters and mm. say ridiculous team to support when you're not from uh, Manchester or particularly you are closer to another Premier League team or uh, English team. But then those same people will support the New York Yankees because they're the most successful franchise in Major League Baseball. Who do you support in the, the NFL? My team in the NFL is the 49ers because when I was a kid in the 80s... San, San, San Francisco. They were... <laughs> I knew that, yes. Stephen. People, people, hopefully, are aware of that. Um, because when I was, at the, yes, when I was growing up in the 1980s, they were the most successful team. So the when when I'm seven or eight years old, I know about Joe Montana. Mm. So therefore, I I stick to it. I also had a soft spot for the Dolphins because of Dan Marino. But that's because I think I had a hand-me-down Dan Marino top, um, which was the one that I would wear. So that that is hopefully some sort of logic yeah. to that because when I was I was growing up the Redskins were also big in the 1980s so I, I have soft spot for the Redskins as well so those are the reasons why I would do it but I can understand if people say you can't support Manchester United and then they go and support the Yankees and they're not from New York or they support the Patriots who are the most successful recent franchise mm. in the NFL do we expect a consistency of logic among teams or can we just no let the poor the poorest borders so porous that there really doesn't need to be anything. Like but it's that. all to do with personal taste, isn't it? It's, and that's the other problem, is that people set their own personal boundaries on what they think is acceptable, and often, as is the case in so many things, what is acceptable for you is different to what is acceptable for others. My team in the NFL is the Jets, because she was my favourite gladiator. <laughs> <laughs> Again, consistency of logic. My, If I had to pick a team, it would be the Redskins, because when uh, about 25 years ago, my dad worked with an American guy, and... This guy's brother was a journalist covering the Redskins at the time who sent me a load of merchandise, which was very, very, ge- uh, very nice of him. This guy's brother was, was, had, a, had a, a racist name. <laughs> <laughs> so I support the Redskins. <laughs> I just chose the next, the next suitable item. But if I had a choice to go and watch an NFL game, it would be one involving the Redskins. There's no sort of logic. I don't follow the sport closely. I don't, you know, I don't have a passion for it like, like Hugh does, but if... Someone offered me the opportunity to go and watch an, an NFL game. My preference would be that the, wash, the team from Washington, the team from Washington was involved, or, or Landover, Maryland. And I would, and I would not be making are. any. Who's your baseball thing? Is it the, uh, it's, the, it's, it's it's the, the Indians? Indians. Yeah, yeah. No, There's a pattern. Here. <laughs> <laughs> um, you might remember. Although Major League is one of my favourite sporting movies, which is based around the Cleveland Indians, but that is completely irrelevant. Uh, Aaron had three points. The third is this. Finally, perhaps because I'm an American, I chafed at your use of the term stick a pin in it, which happened a couple of times last week's episode. At first, I thought you meant forget about that idea, as in sticking a pin in a balloon to collapse it. Then I realised that you meant hold that thought. So I looked up the phrase in the Urban Dictionary. And let's remind ourselves that Rory used this phrase quite a few times uh, last week. In the Urban Dictionary, stick a pin in it is described thusly. A douchey slash middle management way to say, let's come back to that later or hold that thought. Increasingly popular in business speak, which I think is well, incredibly insulting to I'm you, Rory. A, I'm a businessman. <laughs> I think, I think You're also a bit of a douche. <laughs> I, think, I think anyone who's met me would know I'm very business-minded. <laughs> uh, that's Aaron in New York. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, finally, to the UK and two correspondents in lofty editorial positions. 
Firstly, Ted Kessler, editor of Q Magazine, and therefore most likely to be the coolest listener. Uh, oh my God, have. he listens. Uh, well, he he might, or he might just have a minion telling him um, what's happened on set piece many this week, and no, if he have, has he, any, he has conversed with on us it. on Twitter previously. Yes, he has. He's, a, he's editor of Q. He's editor of That's Q. That's amazing. I used to get Q in the mid 1990s. You still get Ted. He still gets Q. Sorry, Ted. I still get Q magazine, even though every single page is not really relevant to a person my age. Uh, it, no, it is relevant to people cooler than you of your age. All oh, right, okay, so just cool people. Uh, Ted says, Rory's dismissal of localism was unusually vehement. You've had vituperative earlier on, now mm. we've got vehemence. Mm. Um, I wonder if his choice to turn his back on his hometown team of Leeds coincided with their wilderness years of 79 to 89. Oh, I saw that tweet, I saw that tweet. <laughs> uh, it did, but I genuinely think that not having anyone in my... So my dad's a Leicester fan, my mum doesn't care. Uh, and Mary, my half-sister, supported a, a different team. There was no one in my house... If I'd grown up in a, in a house where someone supported Leeds, then I would have been a Leeds fan. But no one did. No one mentioned it to me. And it wasn't the case in, that, in Leeds in the 1980s that anybody really talked about United the, um, because they were awful. So, and then as soon as and I was... And they were awful after being good. And that's yeah. much more uh, awful than just awful. And then as soon as I was sort of vaguely conscious of it, they went and won the won the Premier League, which was unbearable. And because all my mates by that stage were Leeds fans. But when you're sort of seven or eight... Wasn't the Premier League then? No, yeah. Oh, yeah. They, they, they won the last ever division division last last proper football yeah. champions. But yeah, the, <laughs> if I'd had... I'm certain that if, if I'd grown up in a house where somebody supported the local team, then that's who I would have supported. But because I wasn't exposed to that at all... And I, it's interesting, my, my nephew's nine. And he... Is at that phase, which I'm sure Rory and George, or Rory probably is in, and George will be coming into, where that proper like football obsessive phase, where they know everything, and you're kind of frightened by how much they are. He told me who Atletico Madrid's goalkeeper was the other day. I remember him before he could talk, and now he knows that Jan Oblak is Atletico Madrid's goalkeeper, and he's very tall. His first words, Jan Oblak. Jan Oblak, <laughs> clean sheet. The um. <laughs> And is that, but you know, they're kind of, they're, they're accru- it's not so much the sport, it's, or it's not just the sport, it's the accruing of knowledge around it. So they know that they've got the match attached cards and all that, and you know, they're kind of massively into it. And it's interesting seeing him develop as a fan. He's been guided by his granddad. And that was a process that didn't apply to me because you don't talk at that age, you don't really talk about football like we talk about football. You, you have an affection for... So he's not an Everton fan, but he loves Jordan Pickford, which is the World Cup. You have an affection yeah, my, for players... My kids are obsessed with Jordan Pickford. I, I came back from Everton recently and, and Jordan Pickford was on the front page of the programme and they were... They, they, they loved that. That was just brilliant. They were like flicking through every page of the programme to find out more about Jordan Pickford. Just Jordan Pickford, Pickford has the face of a child. But the <laughs> yes, they thought there might be a yes. cut colleague they, at school. They, they, yeah, they recognised him from somewhere. He's doing yeah. so well and he's seven years old. The, but you, you, you don't talk about football in, in that same way that we do. And it's So Will, my nephew, is, is a fan of a team and wants them to win and boos their rivals. But it's not, it's not yet fully kind of sentient almost. W- why he's doing that? That's not to say that he's dim or anything, but the it's not as we as we would interpret it. And I don't think, beca- and I think because I never had anyone kind of guiding me to Leeds, there was no reason. No one was talking to me about why I should support Leeds at the age of seven. So by that time, that, that choice had been made, and someone could explain to me logically why I should that there was this option of supporting Leeds. The time had gone, and I. I'd made my choice, and I think that's a, that's where family come. F- family maybe trumps geography. That was quite long-winded. Sorry. 
totally worthwhile. Maybe. Uh, Duncan Geddes, the uh, online night editor of The Times, so our second editorial contributor, um, that's The Times of London, not New York, uh, just in case you're worried, uh, Rory, has emailed... Um, I wonder how many fans are like my dad, who has changed clubs twice in his life, but has been passionate about each of the three while he followed them. He was raised a Rangers fan, but decided to give them up in his 20s during the worst of the old firm violence. When he went to study in Aberdeen, he started following them. Then when he moved to England in middle age, he started following his closest football league team, Southampton, and now goes to a good 25 or 30 matches a season, home and away. I assume he looks out for the Aberdeen score, but he expresses very little interest in his old clubs besides the one that he played for, Pentland United, known as the Stabbies, slightly unfortunate, <laughs> what? who are the finest team, says Duncan, in the Kethness Amateur Football Association's County League Division 1. Another another division that we could well fade out on uh, listing the teams. The, the Stabbies. The Stabbies. I doubt I'll follow this model of fandom, says Duncan, to finish, but does it pass muster with the SPM panel? If you've, if you've got a tattoo of the Stabbies club badge, <laughs> then I think, you know, you might want to keep that covered up when he like, goes for a job interview. Like a prison mark. <laughs> yeah. We've spoken in the Second Teams uh, podcast, again, as a little earlier, in the canon of Set Piece Menu, uh, that you will often find people who will change because of geographical movement. So so this conversation kind of, again, dovetails with that. Well, that, that's what we're... I think that's one of the marks of genius of this podcast. We keep, we keep referring back to ourselves. It's nothing to do with massive editism. The, um, but, so that's really interesting because that is... He, he, Duncan's dad, Mr. Geddes, is doing exactly what the, 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 the high and mighty football fandom police think you should do, which is supporting your local team. But in doing that, he loses his authenticity in their eyes. So that is, that is the best proof you could, you could hope for of the, the nonsense of that rule that you have to support your local team. He's doing exactly what you should do. He's supporting local teams and changing. But there'll be people who think that that doesn't count, that you can't shift it. And th- that is the hypocrisy of that position. Didn't we do an entire podcast discrediting people like Mr. Geddes by saying that you, you couldn't have more than one team? I refer you to our previous episodes. Uh, James Toesland, not the motorbike rider, oh. uh, says this. The latest episode resonated with me as my team is not local or inherited. We are ending this discussion where we began it in the southwest of England. I am from Cornwall, not Devon, but when I was old enough to consider why I support Chelsea, as he does, it was clear that changing team is way worse than it not being local. Incidentally, his local team is Falmouth Town. Pretty much all my mates support Premier League teams, he says. One supports Everton because he decided he would follow whoever won the 95 Cup final. A sliding doors moment, so Chinch is clearly to blame for so many things. Is changing your team worse? No, design. I'm Mr. Deddies is now my hero. So well, there we go. You're allowed to fall in love more than once, aren't you? If you we, we don't judge people for being divorced anymore. It's not like Victorian England. So yes, as long as there's no overlapping. There's mm, <laughs> the, um, the yes, that's true. The but people wouldn't don't find it odd that you can love your second husband just as passionately, if not more so, as you loved your first. So why why is, what's wrong with a football team another football team capturing your heart? That's, is that not or allowed? alternatively, not just that, but falling out of love with, with the first, the first one, for a yeah. whole host yeah, yeah. of reasons, some of which could be, as we started this conversation, we shall end with it, legitimate. So would that be like you're going to Chelsea, but also going to see like Arsenal on the side and <laughs> not telling anybody? Yeah. And We're not telling Chelsea. Not telling Chelsea. I mean, what? your friends might You've got know, like two phones. What, like, like having a secret drawer where you keep yeah, your yeah. red and white clothing, <laughs> <laughs> which has got like lo- under lock and key in your office. You've got, a, you've got one of those apps that looks like a calculator, but it's actually a doorway into another Twitter account where you've called like Carnu67. <laughs>
<laughs> I think it's Carnu underscore AFC underscore yeah, yeah, yeah. 67 underscore uh, clock end yeah. uh, underscore Emirates underscore It'd be like elite Carnu. Uh, so James, you may remember, had a friend who supported Everton because uh, they won the... M- they won the 1995 Cup final. Um, it, it is a good moment for us to uh, segue on to uh, the exceptional man known as Andy Hinchcliffe. Once again, the International Week has provided too much of a temptation for Chinch, who is spending the week going international. Uh, he came back to the UK for a game or two and then a big power meeting at Sky, which is where we grabbed him for a soccer story and a little something more. Greetings, everybody. I am at Sky HQ. I bet you're impressed. Uh, we are impressed. Could you tell us a little bit about the grandeur of the building uh, in which you are situated and also the paltry nature of the meeting room in which you will have this conversation with your superiors? Well, there are, there's loads of buildings at Sky. There seems to be buildings popping up all over the place. So this was this is kind of the building that was always here that's kind of been revamped as all the other buildings have been put up around it. But it's kind of on six floors. Um, it's all very much open plan. So there's the stairs which you should use and obviously not use the lifts because we are carbon neutral as a company. I say we, I mean Sky. Um, but there's just trendy people everywhere, people dressed as if they're going out to nightclubs but they're here working, <laughs> young people, vibrant people, and then there's me. But it's a, it's a wonderful place. It's, it's open plan. It's open house. Have you described just what young people wear there? Is that just young people? Just they facially features are young their, their skinny jeans couldn't be any skinnier or tighter, um, and that's just the men. It's a, it's a, a place, it's just, you, you can just sense that there's a lot going on. People are rushing around with coffees in their hands in takeaway cups. No one's got cup and saucers. There's, you've got to be somewhere. You've always got to be making things happen. It's a vibrant place, and I, I clearly fit in very, very well here. Chinj, are you having a meeting because you are being sacked? Um, I don't think it's that. But it could easily turn into that. But it's not just me at the meeting. It's all the EFL crew, all the people that work on our coverage of the EFL. I've, I've instigated this, actually. I was the one that promoted this. We all need to get together and see if we're doing things right. Can we change things? Can we improve things? So I'm a, an instigator as well as a co-commentator, which is, which is unusual. Are you, are you pitching programme ideas? I'm, I've got a few ideas. In a city sumo. Um, not programme ideas, because basically a football match, you can't really alter that too much you know you can't make it it's a knockout which is what I would like to see more of (laughs) it's still the football match is in essence what it is so it's just how we cover that match Rory with our cameras I don't know whether you know that Sky do have cameras at a lot of football matches (laughs) these days so it's how we cover things technology graphics all really interesting they sound really complicated but they're not because I can understand them so I've got some great ideas and basically the future of Sky is in my head Chinch just try and do me a favour just try and get through the meeting Without mentioning the klaxon idea, which you <laughs> oh, do see. Why not? If I did the klaxon and then the teams had five minutes and if they scored, it counts double. Is that not a good idea? I, I'm just worried what any good stuff you've got might lose its credibility if you bring up the klaxon. But the klaxon was my very best idea. <laughs> All the other stuff is, is rubbish compared to that. Uh, so clearly the meeting will be an absolute car crash. Uh, talking about your excellent EFL coverage, were you aware that the players' boots that you borrowed, borrowed for your Barry Banan piece last week of Joey Pelopesi, um, did you know that he then immediately scored an own goal with those boots on? That's the power of, of Chinch's feet. You know, <laughs> if I slip my feet into someone's boots, it's like Billy's boots in reverse, isn't it? Rather than doing really great things, 
they do absolutely terrible things. This is the influence I'm still having on the game after you... so many years out of it. It's incredible. I look forward to him immediately sustaining a cruciate ligament injury. <laughs> oh, don't wish that on him. That's a terrible thing, but it could happen, Joey, so beware. <laughs> right, so, Andrew, uh, before you go and uh, injure and ruin a player's career, um, it's time for Nevermind Jack and Ori What a Soccer Story. This is when Andy tells us a tale from his playing days with all adult behaviour and libel where the details are moved. From Sky, Chinch. Well, you have these stories about players kind of walking off from training or being sent in from training because they're doing things badly or they're just their attitude is wrong. I remember Paolo Di Canio once, he wasn't happy with being tackled in training, so he just took his bib off, threw it on the floor and walked in and everyone just said, that's fine, that's Paolo. I was actually sent from the training ground for the only time in my career, surprisingly by Paul Jewell, so I don't know whether this was personal or not, but I tend to think that it is. I wasn't even training. Surprisingly, I was injured, but... What I tended to do when I was in, you're in very early in the morning, kind of half seven, eight o'clock, you dipped maybe an hour and a half, two hours, and then the first team would come in and train. So for a bit of a break, I would maybe go for a wander around the training pitch and sit in those, you know, those kind of portable um, dugouts that they have, these kind of plastic perspex dugouts. They're like smoking booths that they have outside hospitals. You know, they have like temporary ones around training pitches. Yeah, that look like bus I, shelters. I, I, I sat in that, because obviously it's Sheffield and it's... Even if it's in the summer, it's, it's, it's teeming it down with rain. So I was sitting in this little kind of cabin, the smoker's cabin, watching the training. And suddenly, after about five or ten minutes, the physio, Rob, came running out from the, from the main buildings, running around the pitch towards me. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, what's happening here? Has something happened back at home? I need to go. He runs over and he says, you can't sit here and watch this. And I said, why? He said, because Paul Jewell thinks you're laughing at him. <laughs> Seriously, I was then ejected, and I said, "Come on!" I was I had a cup of tea. I was thinking, "You're joking, are you?" I'm only what? I'm not doing anything. I'm here to watch what the lads are doing and watching the train. And I was, I, I said, "No, seriously, you've got to come in. The, the the gaffer doesn't want you sat there because he feels as though you're you're making, you know, you're mocking him and things." And I, I was just sitting there. Is that again my power? Just <laughs> sitting there. People worry about the work that they're doing. Just my mere presence can affect them. I was then. I had to be frog marched back to the uh, the treatment room. So. I, I wasn't allowed to sit by the side of the training pitch. You are a charismatic, daunting presence, Chinch. And also you smirk a lot. <sighs> it was a smirking shelter is what it was. I felt a bit foolish because I genuinely wasn't doing that. It was just a bit of downtime. And maybe most injured players don't do that. But, you know, I, I, I changed the rules. I've always been known as a bit of a rule breaker, a bit of a game changer. So just sitting there, watching what the lads were doing, maybe taking a few notes... Jewel is terrible, writing down things like that. And I had to be frog-marched off the training pit. And I wasn't even training. So that is, that's pretty bad, isn't it? Because my attitude as a professional was exemplary. But clearly, on this occasion, the power of me being there was just too much for the for the Wednesday coach. And, and off, off I went, off I had to go. And if somebody um, is sitting during the meeting that you are about to have, and you are perhaps slightly unnerved by their presence and they might be potentially mocking you for all your klaxon related ideas what yeah. uh, course of action will you take uh, I, can you throw punches in meetings these days <laughs> Uh, Andrew, no you can't and we look forward to hearing about your demise at Sky and your potential sacking for for egregious bodily harm on a fellow employee. It's been wonderful uh, to hear you. I understand you are shortly heading to Portugal so we hope you enjoy the week in sunnier climes. Well, a young person is beckoning, beckoning me over. They clearly need my inputs on... <laughs> flat white, please. Flat white. <laughs> Not cappuccino this time. Flat white. You need to go and speak to these. It's a very, very important. Clearly I'm needed elsewhere. Sorry, I've got to go. And that is Andrew Hinchcliffe off to what uh, would most likely be a significant disciplinary 
at uh, Sky HQ. Our thanks, as ever, to Mr. Hinchcliffe. Uh, and I'm glad that, f- for the first thing, he's alive. For yeah. the second thing, he's not, not quite so dark. Yeah, it seemed uh, a bit more buoyant yes, a, a week on. Yeah. That might change Amazing what a bit of sunshine on. does for you. Uh, we leave you with a reminder of how to get in touch at setpiecemenu or setpiecemenu at gmail.com, facebook.com forward slash setpiecemenu. You can also carry on the conversation there. Please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Uh, thank you to Steve, Rory and the soon-to-be unemployed Andy. And to you all for listening, we'll be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very soon Uh, so here goes as promised another list of teams from non-league football in England these are from the Evo Stick League South Division 1 Central and um, well let's consider some of them shall we goodness me the badges are so colourful and glorious well Bromsgrove Sporting FC have got a kind of particularly menacing looking devil to be honest and the Grim Reaper appears to be on the Corby Town badge Uh, so Bromsgrove Sporting might play Peterborough Sports so I don't know what the difference between sports and sporting is. Welling Garden City are there. I'm troubled by the fact that Aylesbury United and Aylesbury are not only in the same league, but they both have birds of some sort as part of their crests. I bet that gets a bit. That's a bit of a tasty rivalry, yeah, I suspect. Aylesbury's is a little bit more imposing. Can I ask a question? Yes, you can. Why do we think that Dunstable Town's badge is a carrot in a shield? <laughs> that's true. It looks like a very sharp carrot. I mean, if you're going to fight with carrots, get that carrot. Kidlington, which is near Oxford, uh, not only is their badge KFC, which is excellent, uh, <laughs> it features a goat. Two, two, two things that aren't in KFC, a goat, a goat and, and a fish. fish. Well, not officially, they're but not over in KFC. what appears to be a pile of sweet potato mash. That's true. That, I, I might prefer that to a KFC. I'm, I'm uh, a fan of North Lee, who have a windmill yep. over water, which... Doesn't that negate the use of a windmill? No, it's that is that's how they used to do wind farms before they invented <laughs> electricity. <laughs> right, okay. Yaxley FC's badge is, is it looks quite corporate looking, isn't it? It yeah, looks like yeah. it's some sort of corporate logo with a hidden meaning. Also, I like the fact that the as part of the badges are kind of red crescent with Yaxley FC on a ribbon and a bird of some sort, and then underneath it, but part of the badge it says Generations Together Football United, which sounds like a sort of slogan that a committee's come up with. Yeah, the yeah. P- PR firm has been employed and paid a huge amount of money to come up with that. Yeah, do we think we have an anti yaxley bias? I might do. Oh, yes, you might yeah. do. Well, that, uh, there'll be somebody with Yaxley in their Twitter handle who will get involved with that, but yeah, that's a little corporate. That's a bit unnecessary. Dick Town's badge looks like someone has been sold a Duff cannon, which actually uses a pen. As the <laughs> I'm much much happier about Berkhamstead because they have the comrades as a little thing underneath and two hands shaking. It's odd that though. Does Berkhamstead, if it's where I think it is, is not natural socialist territory. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I think it might be in. in well, that, that might be politically. I mean, obviously, oh. socially, they're well known as being the place where people go to have fights. Yes. And it's like yeah. if you if you get in a fight in a school playground, even in the northeast of England, for example, there's many many miles away from Berkhamstead. You're going to go and say. Let's take this outside. Uh Uh-uh. Let's take this to Berkhamstead. Yeah. Where a mass brawl will ensue.